Welcome here. We're going to carry on in our series on the Gospel of Luke. I don't know about you, but I've been really enjoying this study. It gives us the opportunity to go a little deeper uh, into what's going on in the context and maybe some language and some um, traditions of, of the Jewish people as well. So it's been pretty cool that way for me. Hopefully it has been for you as well. And this now marks a transition in what's going on in the life of Jesus and the life of the disciples. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 16. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 to 16. This is where Jesus calls his disciples forward. It's the choosing of the 12. And so that makes sense that it's a, a marked difference in what's going on. But in this, I think this is a critical point that I think we need to make so that we understand how God works with his people. And that is this, Jesus alone qualifies people for ministry. Jesus alone qualifies people for ministry. One of the things that we know throughout history is that there are people that God has used for ministry in ways that we would never expect. People who didn't have the education we thought they might have. People who didn't look the way we thought they should. Or any of these other kinds of barriers that we tend to put in. We have to remember that Jesus alone, according to the scriptures, Jesus alone qualifies people for ministry. So, Luke chapter 6, verse 12 to 16. If you do not know where the gospel of Luke is in the beginning of your Bible, there is a table of contents. Use it. You'll learn where things are and it'll benefit you in the long run. So, here we go. Starting in verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. So there's a difference between disciple and apostle. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here. And I pray, Lord, that as we look into your word, that we will be encouraged, that we will have understanding. Uh, Lord, that it will give us something moving forward uh, for us to be able to press into a lot harder, a lot deeper. And, and Lord, to recognize that we can be used of you and you're the one who qualifies us for that. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. So, there's a lot of things going on right now in, in what you could say, in the timeline of Jesus and the disciples. Uh, he's been calling people to repent. He's been healing people. He's been delivering people of, from demons. He's been forgiving sin. He's preaching the kingdom of God. And, and, and so there's a lot of things that are taking place. And one would think that with all these different things taking place, that everyone would just love Jesus and be on his side. You would think that all of Jerusalem would rally behind him and listen and obey, but that's actually not the case. What we find is that he's becoming disruptive to the religious system at the time. But I would also say that it's actually not the case for us today either. I mean, if you think about it, uh, you would think that when Jesus offers the opportunity to have sins forgiven, that people would jump at the chance but most don't. When hearts have been hardened by sin and pride, they don't yield in submission to Jesus. So along with seeking Jesus as Savior, we got to submit to him as Lord. We can't say, 
you know, I really like that Savior part, that forgiveness of sins, but I'm not so sure about, you know, letting Him rule my life. I like having my sins forgiven. I really like the thought of going to heaven, but I really don't have a desire to conform my lifestyle to His teaching. And to some extent, I heard a pastor actually say it this way. Uh, he calls it the practical atheist. It's the person who acknowledges Jesus but lives his life or their life as though Jesus doesn't exist. It's the idea that uh, I love that I'm saved, but I'm not going to have any evidence of that salvation in my life, right? Like it's that whole thing. And so in the story here that we find, opposition is mounting, the religious leaders are getting angrier, their quest has gone from curiosity to seeking how they can get rid of Jesus. And Jesus knows that his eventual death is looming. It's coming. He knows the timeline. And so it's time to select and train people who would carry on the mission after he was gone. So Luke chapter 6, 12 to 16, we read that earlier. But one of the things I want us to note immediately is that when Jesus is determining the choosing of the 12, it's, I think it's important for us to recognize that it's not that he didn't know who he was going to choose. It wasn't a deliberation, particularly in that sense. Verse 12 says, uh, one of those days, so talking about the days that we were dealing with in the past, right? Like, so the Sabbath days and all the things that were leading up to those, like the whole Sabbath controversy is called. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying. Now, we're not told exactly what Jesus was praying about. We presume, many actually presume, that Jesus was praying about who he was going to select as disciples or as apostles. Um, but we're not actually given that indication in Scripture. This was a rare occasion in which Jesus prayed all night. And like most, when nighttime came, he was tired and normally would sleep. But this was a different night. Because this night was the night before the selection of the Twelve Apostles. So not only was it a special night, but it was also a special prayer as well. Luke uses a phrase here uh, that describes Jesus' prayer that was unfortunately somewhat lost in translation. The NIV translates it as praying to God, as do most translations. But the literal translation, in terms of like word for word, what it actually says, it is the prayer of God. A phrase used only by Luke and only in this occasion in the entire Bible. It was the prayer of God that Christ spent the night doing. Which is a really neat thing when you think about it, right? Like he's, he is selecting these people. It is the prayer of God. He is God. And so, I mean, it may seem like a, a small point, but, but it, there's significance in this. So again, the content of the prayer isn't known, but you can realize that, or we got to realize that the choosing of the 12 was a divine event. It, was a, it is a notable shift in the ministry of Jesus. The Christian faith is not man's idea or invention. It is solely the work of our sovereign God. And so Jesus takes this time to pray. There's a time to pray. Now, my personal opinion is that Jesus was praying for the apostles. Not about who the apostles would be, but he was praying for them because they were about to walk into something uh, that they didn't see coming. 
Secondly, there's a time to call people, right? So verse 13, when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. Now, he, the Father, and the Holy Spirit have set down in eternity past who the 12 apostles were going to be. 11 are going to follow Christ and one is going to betray him. However, all 12 will do what God has ordered to be done, including Judas. Judas, in his own power, will betray Jesus, and Jesus will be crucified according to plan. But God doesn't make Judas sin. What God does instead, actually, is use Judas's sin for his purposes. And Judas is a conflicting character for many people because... You know, you ask questions like, okay, well, if God knows and this is the plan, then, then did God make Judas sin? And you know, there's all kinds of confusing conversations you can get into with that. Um, but rest assured, God did not make Judas sin, but he used Judas's sin for his purposes. So why did Jesus choose 12? Right? Like, why not 10? Why not 6? Like, what, what, why the choosing of 12 specifically? Well, 12 is an incredibly symbolic number in the scriptures. The, there's 12 tribes of Israel. And during Jesus' time on earth, um, the ministry, doing his ministry, uh, Israel was corrupted, you could say. The religion of Judaism had leaned heavy on human works. The calling of the 12 apostles was an indictment against the religious system of Judaism to an extent, right? It's a reestablishing of things. Jesus didn't choose 12 rabbis or 12 Pharisees. He chose men that were not part of the religious system, but who will, in the end, participate in judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, this is amazing. This is stuff that they're, they're going to learn later, and we're going to deal with later as we go through the Gospel of Luke. But Luke 22, verses 28 to 30, Talking about the, the apostles, they say, You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer unto you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred on one unto me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom, and sit on thrones, listen, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In Revelation 21, 9-27, it presents this description of the new Jerusalem. And in talking about the city, it says in Revelation 21, 14, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so what we understand here is that these 12 men are being set aside for a work, and there are, this work has these eternal implications in terms of sitting on thrones and judging over Israel, um, and, and so it's an interesting thing. What we know is that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is called 12 apostles, and that he is preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And out of all of those who were following Jesus, you may ask, why did he select these specific people? Okay, ultimately we don't actually know why he chose them specifically. Here's what we do know. What we do know is that the 12 didn't choose Jesus, he chose them. Now that might not seem like a big deal to you, um, but in ancient days, rabbis did not choose their disciples. The disciple chose the rabbi. They chose who they were going to follow. And so for Jesus to come out and choose these men, it's a very, very significant thing. But the encouragement that comes along with that is that, that he's still doing it. Like he's still choosing 
and we follow. First John, or sorry, John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, uh, in my name, the Father will give you. And so in this text, in John's gospel, we are shown that the purpose that everyone is called is to go bear fruit. That's the purpose of their calling. So why did he choose these particular, these specific men? Don't know. The purpose in their choosing, though, was that they would go bear fruit. And this is true of the apostles, and it's tr also true of us concerning salvation. They were chosen to bear fruit, and we are also chosen to bear fruit. Fruit bearing is a result of salvation. It's, what it, it's the outcropping. It is the, well, it's the fruit. We're not told why Jesus chose the ones he did, but if I were to choose the apostles, I might look for men who had high IQs, maybe well-polished communicators. Maybe I would choose people who have shown some entrepreneurship in some way as a, in their past, indicating that they're, they're successful in starting something new. But that's actually not how God selects. That's the cool thing about God. He doesn't measure people the same way we do. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29, it says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were before you were called. Right? So they were called. These are the believers. These are not the apostles. And so this is, this is something that's transferable to us as well. So remember who you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So now that, that makes perfect sense. Like God chooses ordinary, regular people and works through them to bring about amazing results. When people see that the amazing things that are coming through ordinary people, they realize that the success is actually from God and not from those people. And, and yes, there's, there's encouragement towards the people, but it's all the more recognition that God's the one at work. And so even now, the kingdom of God advances through ordinary people called by God bearing fruit. Now, bearing fruit advances the kingdom of God because it is a re, it's the reproducing of other believers. Now, you can get into a discussion about what bearing fruit actually looks like, and people want to get some very specific, you know, what it really looks like in the life of a believer, but maybe let's just keep it simple. I have an apple tree in my backyard. You know what fruit it bears? Apples. A mango tree bears mango fruit. And the Christian... Bearing fruit produces more Christians. This is the logic of it. This is the biblical narrative. We are bearing fruit when the works we are involved in are for the purpose of bringing lost people to Christ. And that's kind of who we are as a church. Like Every church is like this. Like Every church actually exists for the same purpose. We just all say it a little differently. So Pathway, the way we say it is, we want to help those far from God come to know life in Christ. Okay, that's our tagline that's what we kind of filter everything through right are we helping people come to know life in christ but these are the deeds that will last it's the people coming to christ 
This is the bearing fruit. This is how God's kingdom advances. And the focus of Jesus' selection had to do with the glory of the Father, the advancement of the kingdom. So Jesus chooses 12 simply ordinary men. And as a matter of fact, uh, there's the, the religious ruling class is called the Sanhedrin. They're kind of like the Supreme Court in Israel. And they had this encounter with the apostles in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that, listen, they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Jesus qualifies the cult. He is the one who makes these things happen. And so he takes these lumps of clay as the divine potter and molds these ordinary men into extraordinary apostles. Before it's all over, these men would be writers of Scripture. They would be workers of miracles in the name of Jesus. They would be taking the message of the gospel to the ends of the known world. In the end, most would even give their lives for the sake of the gospel. Like ordinary men, Jesus chose, like the ordinary men Jesus chose to be apostles, who were a special group of men that, that Jesus selected for a specific purpose, he is choosing no more apostles like this. They, there's not going to be another uh, John. There's not going to be another Peter. But he still chooses people to do his work, and he's choosing ordinary people to do extraordinary things through his power. Now, our adversary, Satan, uh, might try to convince us that our shortcomings render us useless in the kingdom of God. And if you really think about it, you had a guy like Matthew, for example, right? Another name for him in the scriptures is Levi. Um, tax collector. His shortcomings in talking about taking the message of the gospel to the Jewish people, his shortcomings was that he, he was considered a traitor, worthy of death, worthy of being pushed away and considered no longer Jewish. And, and so for him to be chosen and his shortcomings, I mean, you, you look at his life and, and you could certainly see that he would have potentially a lot of insecurity about going to his own people with the gospel message. And that's something that the evil one would likely try to drive into him. At least that's how it works for many of us, right? The fact that we are weak and lack power should remind us that we are exactly the kind of people that God wants to use. Your insecurities, your faults, your failures, these things do not prevent you from being able to work for Jesus. They don't prevent you from being called to do incredible things. None of it does. Remember, Jesus qualifies those whom he chooses. And because of that, we're not the ones bringing much to the table. He's the one who's doing the work through us. So Jesus alone qualifies people for ministry. So here's a couple of questions. Is there something that God is calling you to do? Now, you may ask, okay, how do I know, Robin, whether or not God is calling me to do something? It, it, it often feels like a little prompt, right? Like maybe you're walking along and and, and you see something and, and immediately your thought is, man, I guess an idea on, on how to solve that issue or whatever it is. Perhaps God's prompting you in that moment. Maybe you see somebody on the street and you're prompted to, 
or you, like you immediately think like I got to do something for this person. Maybe, maybe there is a discontent that you have and, and you see a hole maybe in your church, maybe in your community and you, your first thought is to go to your pastor and say, we need to do this. As a pastor, I'll tell you this, I think that it's likely that God is calling you to start something to do. And so is God calling you to do something? The other question would be this. The other question is this. How would God get the most glory from your life? How would God get the most glory from your life? And in, in that, I think it's important that we recognize that our lives exist to glorify the Father. Two questions. Wrestle with them and see what you come up with. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time, and I thank you that you are the God who qualifies us. You are the God who chooses us. You're the one who equips us. And so, Lord, as we are a people who desire to bear good fruit for you as Christians, that we would help create, make, find, develop other Christians as the fruit of our labor. Lord, I pray that we will be more focused on you, more focused on your mission that you've called us into. In your name I pray, amen.